Welcome or welcome back to Go Produce My Crew. My name is Big Lou, and this is the podcast and YouTube channel that explores how music industry professionals turn their passions into profit. We are on a massive mission to bring clarity to the music industry, and our goal is to help 1 million music industry professionals live off of their passion. I'm laying down the foundation that I need in order to thrive in the music industry, and I want to help you do the same. This episode is brought to you by thecharts.com. If you're a producer or beat maker looking to build your beat commerce business in less time, thecharts.com can help. With an easy-to-use, mobile-friendly interface and built-in marketing tools, thecharts.com will help you grow your brand, build your fan base, and scale your income. Sign up for free and start selling your beats and instrumentals today on thecharts.com. Today's theme is how to find the perfect sound as an engineer no matter where in the world you are. Let's go. Starting in the touring world, Zach has traveled as a professional audio engineer and instrument technician in over 25 countries spanning four continents with bands like Walk Off the Earth, USS, Serena Ryder, and Tim Hicks. In the studio, Zach has been working professionally for a decade and has worked on projects ranging from singer-songwriter to heavy metal. However, he specializes in recording and mixing rock, pop, and country. His depth of experience in the music industry has given him an edge on how to take songs from good to great without compromising the artist's integrity. Go produce. This is Zach Gerber. Yes. Thank you, Zach, so much for being here. I want you to know that we do very much appreciate your time. So let's go ahead and make the most of this and go produce. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Beautiful, beautiful. Like I said, we do appreciate the time. So we'll go right into it. The first segment that we've got is called The Basics. Hey. It's always important for me to start off on a good note, and I appreciate that too. My favorite question to always open these interviews with is, what's your first musical memory? My first musical memory? Oh, man. Um, probably like butchering a, re a recorder solo. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the recorder was the first instrument I picked up, and... Uh, wasn't good at it then, and I'm not good at it now. <laughs> was it by choice? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it was just lying around the house. Um, I come, my mom, um, my mom was a grade eight pianist. Uh, she went through the conservatory program, and uh, my dad loves music too and plays guitar. So music was always around. And uh, I think that was just the, the instrument that was, you know, Zach sized back when I was, you know, four <laughs> years old. <laughs> That's fair. I, I was wondering why is it that we start with recorders most commonly? And that's probably one of the, the most legitimate reasons, other than it being relatively simple, you know? I feel like it's just easier to get your hands around, you know? That, that makes a good point. Makes a good point. And then do you think it's the, the, did you develop a passion around this after having discovered the recorder? No, actually. Um, my passion for music wasn't really ignited until uh, my, like, like, early teens, I would say. Um, Growing up, my mom tried to get me to play violin. She tried to get me to play piano. And I was like, no, mom, I don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, piano isn't cool, mom. And, you know, now I wish I had listened to her because piano is so cool. But uh, I grew up playing sports. Uh, I played hockey and baseball. And I would say I probably started to get back into music when, uh, when um, my next door neighbor and I, we would uh, set up a hockey net on my driveway and, you know, just shoot balls at the net and... Uh, and have some friends over and play a little hockey games. And we had a boom box 
that we would set outside and we would put on like Blink-182 and some 41 records. And uh, that's, I would say that's when I started getting back into music. When it was cool to do so again. Yeah, yeah, when it was <laughs> on my terms, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I can appreciate that. What was the first lesson that the industry itself taught you? You probably... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna speak for you. I'm not. I'm not certain that you learned anything from the boombox days, but perhaps a lesson there allowed you to thrive more so in the industry when you did enter. Uh, probably not from the boombox days, but I have a good one, and that's a really, really good question. Um, when I was playing in one of my first bands, a little punk band called Last One Out, we uh, we got connected with this guy who shot a music video for us, and. Uh, he it turns out he was a much music video dj if you remember those those shows way right? back <laughs> way back when yeah so uh that was actually my first industry job i would uh i would go out with him and i would you know set up the big projector screen with him and uh basically take song requests from all of the people at the dance and let him know at the dj booth what people wanted played and uh he gave me uh, the best advice and it's the first industry advice I ever got and I still think about it today he said to be early is to be on time to be on time is to be late and to be late is to be fired <laughs> <laughs> tell us how you really feel grumpy sound guy <laughs> <laughs> and so uh I I still try to practice that today it's you know timeliness is important to me um we're all busy no one wants their time wasted so show up show up on time, show up ready. It's mutual respect, show up on time and show up ready. It's not like you have an appointment or you have to start your work at 11.30, so you show up at 11.30. You're there at 11, 11.15, whatever it takes to be ready to start the work at said time, correct? Precisely, yeah. So, you know, if I have a session here at the studio at two o'clock, I'm here at noon, 12.30, and I'm cleaning up everything and I'm getting the coffee pot on and, you know, so for instance, today we're doing a drum day. I'll, uh, before the artist walks in, I'll have, you know, I have a drum kit here that he's going to play. I'll have it tuned. I'll have it mic'd, ready to go. He'll come in, make a couple small adjustments and we'll be hitting record, you know, hopefully a few minutes after he gets here. So thank you so much for that, Zach. It, it, it really does go a long way in terms of being prepared professionally for, for all of your sessions, because why would people want to come back and continue working with you if you're wasting their time? What do you find? Yeah. Right. What do you find your greatest yeah. challenge would be currently outside of COVID? Greatest challenge with my work? Correct. Um, it's a great question. Uh, I think, well, it, it kind of actually ties back into to what we had just talked about. Um, one of the biggest challenges I think I face on a day to day basis is, um, I think the standard for preparedness uh, coming into a recording studio has has kind of shifted um, with the technological shift that we've experienced. So, you know, in the 70s, when they were cutting to tape, there was very little editing. Uh, and now, you know, to move a hit in Pro Tools, it's it's nothing. And um, that's a beautiful thing. And the, and the technology has moved so far forward and we're able to do incredible things with it. But it's taken the pressure off the musician. And... Uh, I like to put the pressure back on the musician, not that um, I'm incapable of doing the edit and I do all of the editing anyway. Uh, but I think people sometimes forget that good performances come from good playing and, and good recordings come from good playing. And uh, so I would say the thing that I run into the most is just um, nothing brutal, but just a little bit of a lack of preparedness coming into the studio where 
maybe a guitar part isn't as tight as it needs to be and we spend a little bit more time sitting there tracking it because I want it tight and my job is to make it tight so it's got to be played tight. It's important. There's there's a lot of magic that you can do in post-production but if you are to capture it properly there's nothing that you can there's no way you can make that sound the same. It goes along. Yeah, way. it's you you can get it close but I have really, really high standards for my work. Um, and so I push the people that come in and play at the studio to really, really high standards for their work because that's how you get to where we're trying to go. Do they ever push back on you pushing back on them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's awkward and sometimes people get frustrated and um, it can be tricky, but uh, we're all aiming at the same thing, right? And we're all on the same team. So usually if you explain that to them, they'll, they'll go along with you. It makes sense. A little bit of conversation. Are there are there any specific tips or techniques that you use to try and convey this message to them? Um, not in terms of communication. I, I guess I guess the way I approach it um, is I say exactly what what I've said to you. You know, we're aiming at a high standard of recording, and I want this to be incredible for you because I want you to walk away from this recording experience with a song that you're really really proud of, and in order for me to do that, this is I need this level of playing from you. So let's figure out how we can get you playing at that level, whether it's uh, just running it a few more times or, you know, if it's, you know, a run on a guitar that, you know, we're not getting all the notes, you know, really, really, really tight. Like, let's punch it in a bar at a time or a half bar at a time or a note at a time if we have to, to get it where it needs to be. Because I want you to walk out of this recording studio going, oh my goodness, I can't believe how good I sound. It's interesting because you're not you're not saying that this person isn't good enough, so stop trying. It's like, I see the potential in you, and these are the steps that we can take in order to get to where we need to go. It's it, it's a life lesson in itself. It really does go a long yeah, way. And, and that's a producer's job. A producer's job is to draw out of the artist the very best of them and capture that and put it on tape for them to, to take out to their fans and, and the people who listen to their music. Very beautifully said. Our next segment, Zach, is called The Speed Round. Oh, uh, here we go. <laughs> I think you're a, a, little, a little familiar with hold this. On, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me take a sip of coffee for The Speed Round. <laughs> Getting ready. Calm those jitters. For anyone that isn't aware, the speed round, I'm going to be throwing 20 questions at Zach in rapid succession. You have to answer them in just one word. We can justify afterwards. Cool? One word. Okay. It can be yes, no, this, that, both. It can be like a phrase. It can be short. It's cool. We'll, we'll, we'll okay. see what happens. Okay. <clears throat> Where is your next vacation spot? Canada. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite <laughs> microphone? Uh, <laughs> Do you have any nicknames? Uh, people sometimes call me Gerbs. What's your favorite animal or plant? I like cats. What's your favorite plugin? Uh, Fab Filter Pro MB. What's your favorite time of day? Uh, morning. At the end of the day, you want a nice big glass of? Water. Do you prefer mixing tracks or do you prefer recording audio? Mixing. Where's your favorite place in the world? My home. Breakfast or dinner? Breakfast. Do you prefer being in the studio or on the road? Studio. If mus or if movie is to watch, then Netflix is too. Chill. Hey, <laughs> would you go to the moon? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd go to the moon. What's your favorite piece of outboard gear? 
Uh, my Apollo stuff. Do you prefer to read or to watch movies or shows? I like to read. Who's an artist that you currently find the most exciting? Mm, I'm always into Tori Kelly. How many years have you been at this for? Uh, 15. What is your favorite genre of music? I like like early 2000s emo. What's your favorite snack? Uh, like pepperoni sticks. <laughs> and do you plan on touring again? 100%. And what is the first noise that comes to mind? First what? Noise. Oh, um, <laughs> click tracks. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bonus question that was number 21 we made it through the speed round i wanted to see what happened <laughs> uh click tracks <laughs> that was because i hear so many of them <laughs> <laughs> did any of those questions stand out to you zach i had well i mean i ran out of time on the on the microphone, the microphone. question i had a hard time i was gonna say and this is a funny thing i was gonna say the apex 450 which is a 300 dollars little cheap mic it is a tube condenser, and uh, I have a, a TLM-103, which is a fat condenser from Neumann. It's a $1,400 mic in my locker, and when it comes to vocals, I choose that $300 microphone almost every time over the $1,400 microphone. That's interesting. Do you think it's because of the space, or is this just the people that you have in I there? Just, I, I think it's... I think it's um, it's got a bit of history. Apparent, like I'm not the first owner of it. It's uh, it's apparently been modded. I don't know how. Um, when it came into my possession, I put a new tube in it because the tube needed to be replaced. Um, but I just when it when it comes to vocals, I love the sound of tube condensers. Generally speaking, in most scenarios, um, it just puts this vibrant crispiness on the vocal that uh, you can't really get from anywhere else. So I like to reach for it. Interesting, interesting. And then can you expand a little bit more on your favorite piece of outboard gear? Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm not a huge outboard gear guy. I'm, a, I'm an in-the-box guy. Uh, but I run, I've got three different Apollo units. Um, and that makes up most of my preamps. I've got a couple other preamps. But what I, I'm a huge commitment guy when it comes to recording. So um, some people's philosophy is they like to do as little as possible when they hit record so that they have the most options after they hit record to manipulate the sound. I like to think the other way. I like to, uh, I, so let's take the, the context of drums. I like to get the drums up. I like to get them really in tune. Tuning is very, very important to me. And then when I'm getting drum sounds and I'm setting my preamp levels, the cool thing about the Apollo system is that I can open up UAD plugins ahead of Pro Tools in, in a, a program that they call Console. So it runs through the UA gear into Console, and then in Console I can open up compression, EQ, and all of that sort of stuff, right as we're tracking drums, like there is outboard gear. Like I'm running a kick drum through a Neve preamp, out of that into a patch bay, out of that into an API EQ, out of that into an 1176. Like I can do all of that just in the virtual world. And so I'm a huge commitment guy. I like making moves on the way in. I like hitting record and already feeling like it's well on its way to being awesome. So um, the UA stuff is really, really great for that. And the preamps are incredible and the converters are great. And uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm addicted to them. It's, it's, it's the smart way to work, essentially. I like to think so. And I like, like, one of the things I do when I, when I bring an artist in is before we ever hit record, 
um, I, I like to I like to start with the end in mind. So I sit down with the artist and I go, okay, here's the song. This is what we're doing. Where are we going? What do we want this to sound like? And sometimes that's words. Like, how, how would you describe what you want this to sound like? Sometimes it's, we put on another song from a different artist and it's like, we're kind of aiming for that. But I like to know what we're going for before we ever hit record. And then once I know where we're going and I know kind of the rough idea of how to get there, I just like make start, I like to start making decisions and I just, I EQ stuff on the way and I'll duck low end out of guitars. I'll pull harsh frequencies out of guitars. I'll compress things. My vocals, I'll, you know, I'll, they'll hit the preamp, they'll hit an EQ, a compressor, a de-esser and a tape machine before they ever hit Pro Tools. Um, and by the time the vocal hits Pro Tools, it pretty much just needs effects and a little bit of cleaning up. Um, and I like, I like doing it that way because it's more exciting and you make decisions faster. And if you already know where you're going, why not just get there? Just get know? there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Beautiful. Before we move on from this segment, I want to ask, you said you prefer mixing tracks over recording audio, but what is the most challenging part about mixing or what do you like the least about mixing? Great question. Uh, mixing's a tricky beast, you know? I go back and forth, um, and sometimes tracks, I'll open them up, and uh, whether or not, you know, I recorded them or someone sent them in to me to be mixed, I'll open them up, and I'll start working it away, working away at it, and it'll just fall into place, and I'll be like, oh, man, this is great. And then sometimes I'll open up a mix and spend a couple hours on it and be like, oh, no, this is awful. <laughs> Um, but I like that challenge and I think like, I love the whole process. Um, but for me, when I'm tracking bands, I'm facilitating their creativity, right? I'm helping them. I'm, you know, I'm drawing the performances out of them. I'm helping them be creative when I'm sitting there in the room by myself mixing. That's my moment to, to really shine in my creativity. And I like having that moment to just, to dig into the song and and craft it into something that that is you know better than where it's sitting before the mix how do you manage that in terms of your creative expression and the artist's creative expression does that conflict when you take it back to yourself or with yourself for the mixing process definitely uh sometimes um and so in the, in a scenario like that um so let's say i do a mix and i send it out uh, actually this just happened. <laughs> I just had a b band in, uh, earlier this week to go over a couple mixes. Um, you know, the overall feedback was great. Everyone was, was feeling in a good place, but there were just a couple creative directions I took, uh, that they didn't, uh, really like. And you have to, as, as a producer and a mixer, you have to remember really what your place is and your place is to deliver to the artist what they are looking for. You have to cut your ego out of this situation because if you get your ego involved, it's just gonna be messy. So, you know, we, we had the band in, we opened up the mixes and I just listened to them and what they had to say and we made the changes and it didn't make the mix any better or worse in my opinion, it just made it different and it made it more what they want, which is what I'm hired to do. That makes sense. Do you, do you try and have this discussion before you do the recording and before you do the mixing initially, or is it like a, an ongoing process? It's a little bit of both. It's, it's also tied into the start with the end in mind, you know? So if I know that we're going for, you know, this style of song, 
then I can take that song and I, I mix against reference tracks all the time just to make sure that I'm, you know, not mixing too bright or not mixing too low and heavy or whatever it may be. Um, so if a band says, you know, we love the song, we want to go that direction, I'll just fly into iTunes, buy the song, and then drop it into my Pro Tools session and be referencing back to that song to remember where I'm going as I do the mix. And usually between listening to the reference songs the band sends me and then listening to the reference songs that I use because I know they sound awesome, if I'm, you know, using all of those tracks and kind of pushing the production that I'm doing into an average of all of those things, usually people... Are, are pretty happy by the time I send them a mix. Makes total sense. Well thought out. Yeah. That is the end of the speed round. Woo! Woo! <laughs> we made it. Our next segment is called What's Yo Take? <clears throat> In this segment, Zach, I'm going to present you with different statements or scenarios, and essentially I just want your perspective. Cool? Yeah, let's do it. All right. What's your take on using various types of mic patterns and mic setups for different purposes? Uh, simple is always the best choice. Okay, so why, why would you use other patterns if simple didn't work? Why would you change them? Well, if something's not working, you have to do something about it. Um, but my, my kind of concept is to get the gear out of the way of the production. So I don't like to be overly complicated when I'm capturing stuff. Um, I have go-tos that I've developed over the years that I've been producing music where um, if I sit down with an acoustic guitar, depending on what kind of mix it's going into, what kind of production it's going into, I know how I'm going to mic it because I know what role I want it to play in the production. Um, and that kind of applies to all of the different instruments. And spending a lot of time like sound searching and uh, trying you know, three or four different mics on a vocal and all of those sorts of things they stunt the creative flow of the session. And I just, I don't like slowing things down because I want to nerd out over five different vocal microphones. I want to put a microphone up and as long as it's not a problem, roll with it. Makes sense. How do you decide on the role of an instrument in the production? Great question. Um, again, production dependent. I think of, I think of a, of a production on, on many different levels, but from like my producer and especially mixer brain, I think about what the soundscape of the production is going to look like. You know, what is taking up high-end space? What is occupying the low-end space? And what is fitting in in between? And as you're building a production, let's say, you know, you're, you're doing a rock track and you have drums and bass guitar and some electric guitars and a vocal. And then you get it, you, you know, you, you get those tracks in and you're listening to it and you go, oh man, like, we're, we're missing a little bit of shimmer, or a little bit of snap. That's a great role for an acoustic guitar, you know, because you can get that high-end string attack. Or maybe you're missing low-end weight and it's those low mids just aren't filled out enough. You know, that might be a really cool opportunity for an organ or a piano to take up that space. So you begin, or at least I, I begin to look at instruments as tools for taking up spaces in a mix. And I want to make sure that the entire frequency spectrum is full and occupied. I don't think a lot of people out here who that, that consume music realize all of the thought that goes behind capturing. It's <laughs> <laughs> very yeah. cool. What is the most challenging either instrument or setup that you've had to record in? I recorded a string quartet once, and that was tricky. Um, 
I don't have a huge room here, a huge live room. Um, and so we kind of piled them all in and I'd never done it before. And so I spent like a couple days before the session, Googling and reading forums and watching YouTube videos. And, uh, it was, it was tricky. And what I ended up doing is I ended up, um, I had close mics on all of them, which was good. And then I ended up throwing more mic, like room mic options out than what I actually needed. And I put them all up because I wasn't really sure how any of them were going to turn out. And then when I got it into the mix, I just began pulling out what didn't do what I wanted it to do. Um, but that was tricky because I had never done it before, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's always figuring, figuring where you have to go, what is necessary, what's not, but you learn, you yeah. live and you learn. Yeah. And you just got to try stuff. You got to be, you got to be ready to try stuff and to make mistakes and to learn and, uh, sit back and listen to what's happening and go, well, is this good or is it not? And if it's not, you got to figure out something to do. <laughs> exactly. That's the, that's, that's your creative element as well, right? <clears throat> mm -hmm. It's still fun. What's your take on adapting to the styles of other engineers and producers in collaborations? I love that because it pushes me when I'm in my own little world producing bands. Like I said, I have, I, I have go-tos, I have systems, I have, you know, if I'm putting up uh, an electric guitar, I know what mics I'm going to throw on it. If I'm doing an acoustic guitar, I know what I'm going to do. Like, I know what preamps I'm going to use. I know what compressors and EQs I'm going to use on the way in. Like, I have my systems and my ideas, and they work for me, which is good. But when you begin to collaborate with other people, they have their own set of interpretations on, on the workflow and what they do. And being pushed into other people's productions makes me think on my feet a whole lot more than just working by myself. And so anytime that I get to collaborate with another engineer on a project, I consider it a blessing because things come in to the sessions that I don't necessarily know what to do with and I have to figure out what to do with them or I have to ask questions. And, you know, it, it pushes me into new realms of knowledge and understanding. And uh, it's a great way as a producer for me to learn and grow. It's, it's a lot that has a lot to do with attitude and mentality. A lot of people can go into these situations and be like, nah, I know everything, so I don't want to even talk to you or, or you can't possibly teach me anything. I'm wondering, has there ever been a time where you experienced some kind of conflict with another professional in this situation? Okay, the, the, the smallest, the smallest little, and this wasn't even a conflict. I once sent out a song for mastering to this really, really great mastering engineer out of the States. His name's Chris Graham. And uh, he's got a really cool system. Um, he has his assistant open... Uh, the song before he ever opens it himself and then his assistant records a video of him listening to the song and like gives you feedback on the song and the only thing that the assistant said uh, was uh, the mix exceeded um, negative six uh, peak so negative six I guess it would be dbfs and he's like Chris won't open anything that exceeds negative six so you need to resend this mix quieter I was like oh and that's like the that's that is the depth of conflict I've gotten into with other engineers. Usually, other engineers are really really great to work with, because um, they're they're easy to work with because they're also thinking about the same things that I'm thinking about. Where if I'm relating to a band, they're thinking about you know how cool their guitar part sounds, not what the whole so song sounds like together. You know, <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. What's your take on? There's no similarity across touring in the 25 different countries that you've been in, they were all different. 
yeah, every country's different. Um, especially when you get over to Europe. Well, and, you know, I mean, uh, especially when you cross continents, you know, touring in, in Canada or America is very different than playing a festival in Japan or um, doing shows in Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, they're wildly different places. Um, but it's fun when you get into Europe because the countries are so small and you travel in between them so quickly, you know, you wake up one day in France and everyone's speaking French and then you wake up the next day in Italy and everyone's speaking Italian and then you wake up the next day in England and everyone's speaking English again and then you go back over to Germany and everyone's speaking German and all of those countries have different languages, different cultures, different foods, uh, different drinks, different things to experience. Um, so I really like getting across the pond into Europe because every day is new and exciting. I, I, I can't imagine that life. It's It's... Quite it's exhilarating. a lot of fun, man. But it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I can imagine it's a lot of fun. You get to see so many different cultures. You get to take it all in, and like, you don't you don't experience it fully, but you get a flavor, a taste of it. You can always go back to it. You know, it's, yeah. it's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. While while touring, I'm curious to know in your whole experience, has there ever been a moment where you kind of felt like this is such a mess? How did I end up here? Maybe questioning <laughs> everything. Was there anything that was really tough? Oh God, so many moments. <laughs> touring is hard. Uh, uh, touring is way harder than working in the studio. It is almost infinitely harder. Um, eh. In the studio, if, if there's a mistake, like kind of the worst thing that's going to happen is that you might have to come back and retract something, you know? Um, and I don't, I think I've had to do that once, you know? Uh, in the In the touring world, Everything is in real time. Everything is happening right now. And if there's a problem, it needed to be solved 10 seconds ago. <laughs> uh, so, um, man, we've had, we've had so many problems on tour. And, um, you know, keep in mind, the Walk Off the Earth stage, at its, at its biggest, you know, we were doing like 65, 70 inputs. And um, that can be multiplied uh, even more because if you think about it, so think about a keyboard, right? Um, the signal path for a keyboard is, okay, so there's a left and a right out of the keyboard and that left and a right goes into a DI box. And so that's four connections already because it comes out of the keyboard twice, it goes into the DI box twice. Now it comes out of the DI, DI box twice, that's six connections. Then it goes into a stage box, that's two more connections. Now we're at age eight. That stage box then runs to a split that's 10 connections. That split then runs to two different consoles, one for monitors, one for front of house. So if I'm counting correctly, we're now up at 14 uh, connections. Okay, now the keyboard stops working. Which of those 14 connections is it? <laughs> you know, and you have to be able to suss that out like very quickly. 10 and so seconds you really, ago. really, 10 seconds ago. So you really, really have to be on top of your stuff. And so then, you know, that was, that was, you know, 14 connections, but that only represents two of the, you know, up to 70 inputs I have to have my brain wrapped around when we're doing a show. Uh, so it becomes infinitely more complicated than just sitting in the recording studio and playing a guitar with a couple microphones. <laughs> so, I, I, I mean, yes, infinitely so, but how do you even begin sussing that out? Uh, usually the smartest way to do it is to start at in, in the, the keyboard scenario, just, well, first thing, you have to keep calm. 
because the live shows are high pressure, um, just like crazy situations. So the keyboard stops working, you know, there might be a keyboard solo in 16 bars, <laughs> you know? So it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> um, so you just go up to the keyboard and you start checking connections. Is the keyboard on? Okay, it's on. Do I see the two connections out of the keyboard? Okay, and then you just track each thing through. And you have to know the signal path in your head to be able to follow it along effectively. Um, but you just follow that path along. And nine times out of 10, it's just someone that's kicked something out. You know, people are running around the stage, they're performing, they're having a good time, and they step on the stage box and something gets disconnected. So, so, so maybe check the stage box real quick before you get, dive into it or it's just follow the no whole path, i like literally. i like to start i like to start at one end because if you start in the middle you miss steps you know gotcha. and then you forget where you started and you know it, you have to be very very logical about it using using logic is generally speaking the quickest way to the solution you just start at one end and you work your way all the way across and you figure out what's going on Solid plan. Yeah, it keeps you it keeps you on your toes. It, it keeps you fun. And then you throw you throw that. So, you know, if we're doing a headlining tour, we have, you know, six hours before sound check to to put our stuff on stage and get it all up and working. Then you throw that into like a big European festival situation where you're going on stage in front of, you know, 60, 70,000 people. And instead of having six hours to put your show up, you have, you know, a 45 minute changeover. Then it's like oh shit like we have to get this right the first time fast or the band's going to go on late in front of these seventy thousand people and then it's not going to be a great conversation after the show yeah, that's when you really <laughs> get to feel the pressure Ooh. and and those are the most fun situations too even though they're the 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 highest anxiety ridden uh when you've got a good team and you put in the work and you do it right um, they turn into the best shows and the best situations. And the, the energy of it is amplified by the fact that there is so much pressure and you, you roll on that adrenaline rush and it's a lot of fun. It's huge. Okay, so we were talking about the biggest challenges. This kind of sounds like we're going towards the biggest triumphs. Was there any, any moments in time that stood out like, wow, this is it? <sighs> Again, so many. Um, I've been so incredibly blessed to, to be to have been afforded the opportunities that I have. Um, and I gotta, I gotta thank, you know, all the bands that I've toured with and, you know, specifically the, you know, the guys and the gals over at walk off the earth, because the majority of the touring I've done has been with them. Um, and, you know, to, to take out highlights, you know, we've done shows at, you know, the Red Rocks Amphitheater. You know, I got to both, you know, mix and play at the Red Rocks Amphitheater. We've done shows at Wembley Arena in London. We did the Royal Albert Music Hall also in London. Um, all of these crazy legendary venues. We've done, we did, um, I don't know if I believe it or not, but we did Montreal Jazz Fest one year. And the count that we got from the festival staff was that there was just over 100,000 people there. And I don't know if that's true or not, but there was a lot of people. And so, you know, we, we got to do that. We've done a number of different festivals over in Europe. Uh, and those are crazy, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70,000 people. You know, we've done festivals with the Foo Fighters. We've done festivals with Paul McCartney. Um, it just gets you into these scenarios where you get to see the most incredible shows and experience music in the most incredible ways. Um, I got to watch The Offspring play from side stage. And, you know, I grew up on punk rock. Like, I didn't think that would ever happen. So uh, 
for all of the stress and anxiety that that touring can throw your way um it's it's worth the challenge because the payoffs are just absolutely incredible and the payoff outside of money too you know I i'm not talking I, about i'm exactly. not talking about money dude exactly i want <laughs> a lot of people to realize money. that though that's yeah dude get it together <laughs> It's always about it, money. It's always about money. Um, no, I mean, hey, I, 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 everyone's got to make a dollar too. But you, I mean, if you got to make a dollar, you might as well make a dollar playing festivals with Paul McCartney. Yeah, get the experience <laughs> in. Get the experience in. Beautiful. We are moving into our next segment, Zach. This one is called Community Queries. Cool. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. So Community Queries is a new segment that we've introduced this season and what it is is i've got a couple of uh, fans that actually sent in some questions ahead of time and nice. so i'm gonna pull them up for you the first question that we have is from mr john dips he's a music producer and beat maker out in dubai so let me oh pull up cool video. so a question for for zach if you could give me uh, the top three actually or what were the top three similarities that you observed as you worked, you know, as an audio engineer across all those different countries? Interesting question. Um, it's not necessarily similarities, but you begin to pick up cultural differences in productions uh, when, you, when you travel countries. I would say, there, I guess there are similarities, but what I actually pick up on are differences. Um, so for instance, when you do shows in Italy, those guys just like break two hours for lunch. And like, I come from America, like we work all day. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's one thing. Uh, but I would say the biggest similarity I see is that once, once you reach like a certain level of touring, especially because that's what I can speak to, there is a level of professionalism that doesn't really change country to country. You know, you walk into venues and although the the power plugs might look different. The voltages might be different. Um, the, you know, the, there's logistical differences like that. All of the concepts are the same and all of the people are doing the same jobs. So there's an overarching idea of how to put a show together that remains the same. And uh, that, does, that, that stays the same no matter what country you're in. It's the language of touring. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, the language of putting on a show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John Dips. You can find him on Instagram at john.dips, D-I-P-S. Our next question is from Layla. She is a music enthusiast out of London, Ontario. This is her nice. question. Thanks for answering my question, which is, as someone who's traveled and worked in so many different countries with so many different artists, which country was your favorite and why? Um, if I had to choose one, um, I would say Sweden. And the reason I would say Sweden um, is because overall, the Scandinavian people are just beautiful people. And I, I'm, like, I'm not just talking about their physical appearance. I just mean like their hearts and souls. Like there's something about people who live that far north. Uh, y y there's a certain... Uh, it's it's kind of like a weird juxtaposition, but there's a certain ruggedness that, or softness that comes from the ruggedness of having to live in a cold climate, and uh, I think Canadians carry uh, a similar sort of thing. Um, but I love going to Scandinavian countries like Sweden, like Denmark, um, because I just 
love their people. And uh, I got the opportunity to walk through, um, what is it, Stockholm, old Stockholm in Sweden. So um, just the old section of town and it's all narrow cobblestone streets cut off from traffic and it's like walking through a piece of history and it's you know you walk these cobblestone streets with all these old buildings and then you end up in a square with a fountain in the center and there's restaurants all around the square and it just feels like something out of a different era of lifetime and that coupled with just the incredible people that they are I just I love being there very cool thank you for sharing that thank you Layla you can find Thank her. You, Layla. Yes, you can find her on Instagram at Lay Lay. Nice, <laughs> Love that that's name. a good one. <laughs> <laughs> our final question is from the wow. Our final question is from someone that you are probably familiar with. This his name is Alex Emmerich. He is a producer. Yeah, he reached out. He told me. <laughs> he told you. Yeah, he's a producer yeah. and mix engineer, just like you. And he's shout out Alex. Shout out, shout out. He's a, he's one of my friends, and I plan on working with him. So we'll see what what comes from that. But his question is here. Zach, my friend, really looking forward to checking out your episode. My question for you today is this. A lot of us producers can easily spend morning to night in the studio working, but what are some things that you do specifically to create work-life balance? Thanks, man. Hope to catch up soon and take care. Uh, I'm the wrong guy to ask that question. In America, I'm we terrible. work all day. <laughs> uh, well, you know... Um, I'm actually fighting the 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 work life balance battle uh, fiercely right now, um, and you know it's I I uh, it is a blessing because um, I'm incredibly busy right now, far busier in the studio than I ever imagined I would be at this point, point. Um, and you know I'm doing 50, 60 hour weeks sometimes. Like I did a 16 hour day this week on Wednesday, um, so. <laughs> Uh, this, this is a funny way to answer it. I, I would say the best thing that you can do for work-life balance is to get married. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I won't keep myself in check. I know that about myself. But um, when I come home a shell of a human being to my wife and I'm exhausted and I have nothing left, she's like, hey, you know, I love you. You should take care of yourself. <laughs> and you, you so get married, life. man. <laughs> get married simple solution hey <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's easy you know you can have that solved in a couple days Damn, but Alex, good I, luck. I, I yeah I, I will i will say this although i am out of uh although i'm out of sync right now i did just block out a number of weeks on my calendar to um to catch up on work and just to take it a little bit more easy um and that's something that i have learned that i got myself into a bit of a bind because i had a whole bunch of new opportunities come up um, but I learned that when I schedule a session with, with an artist and they're coming in to record, I also need to schedule a day on the calendar, probably the same day that I schedule the session to do the, what I call post work of that session. Um, and I didn't really do that this time around all basically I'm tracking every day of May, uh, <laughs> all day, every day. <laughs> uh, so I didn't do that, but, um, I found I found that that is really really helpful. So when when I book a session, I also book time to do the edit, to do the mix, to do the master, um, however much time that I think I need to to accomplish that. So that when the next artist comes knocking and they ask about availability, I don't I have those days blocked off to to catch up with, on the work that I've already done. Makes sense. Makes sense because you just continue to dig your your grave deeper if you do that. Yeah. 
Sick. I'm digging a real I'm digging a real deep one right now. Yeah, but you've got your wife's support. She's got real long arms. <laughs> yo, 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 shout out Melissa. <laughs> shout out Melissa. And also big shout out to Alex Emmerich. Once again, you can find him on Instagram at alex.emrich. E-M-R-I-C-H. Our last segment of today's show is called Clear the Air. Ooh. Whoa, that's a good sound. It's spooky. Yeah, I feel <laughs> I, I'm I'm nervous now. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 what the grumpy sound guy wants to do. He's he's preparing you for the next segment. I, I think the uh, I think the grumpy sound guy is my spirit animal. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I've been called spirit animals. <laughs> he's been called a spirit lot. animals. You animal. <laughs> Anyway, before I get into trouble, what we're going to do in this segment is bring clarity to these slightly more denser questions. Sure. We've actually connected on your podcast. So can you clear the air around the Canadian story? You've got a co-host, David Parker. Tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, thanks uh, for giving me the opportunity to plug it. So when I'm not producing music, uh, I started a podcast with my cousin, David Parker, and it's called The Canadian Story. And kind of our elevator pitch is we aim to tell the story of Canada one Canadian at a time. So it basically stemmed out of this conversation I was having with uh, my co-host, David, where we're like, man, Canada kind of has a branding problem. Meaning, you know, if you think about the United States of America, there's imagery that immediately comes to mind. You know, it's the flag, it's the eagle, it's freedom. You know, we are American. Uh, we're proud. We have a huge military. Like, there's there's things that you can easily cough up about America that define America. And then we were thinking about, you know, what defines Canada? And really all that we landed on is we're nice and we like hockey and it's cold. And we're like, you know... We should try to fix that. So that was that was kind of what what birthed the idea of the podcast. It's been an incredible experience for David and I because, um, you know, there's a uh, there's a, a chapter out of Jordan Peterson's Twelve Rules for Life. Um, I don't remember what rule number it is, but he says, "Assume the person you're talking to knows something that you don't," and that's been a really cool practice throughout the podcast because. The, the most incredible opportunity David and I have realized we've gotten out of it is that we just get to have all these incredible Canadians on and learn from them. If you're interested in checking that out, it's called The Canadian Story. It's available anywhere that you stream podcasts. And my boy Big Lou's on there, so you'll have to check out his episode. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's, the, uh, that's the extended elevator pitch of The Canadian Story. The Canadian Story. It's, it's a very fun podcast, and I have to agree with you in terms of like the U.S.'s better branded than Canada and and doing the work that you're doing here with this podcast you're contributing more so to to Canada and its image itself which is super awesome and I do applaud that one question that I do have for you maybe this might actually help you in doing this or in in promoting your actual podcast is this program that I recently came across it's called listen I just like to share this with other fellow podcasters l i s n and essentially it's a tool that we started using um, just for audio clips, it allows you to clip out the audio within the app itself, and then you can share that easily, just like a link, like a Google link, and you can include that in your newsletters, wherever, wherever, for for the purposes of marketing. But what is really cool about that is that your listeners, so anyone else that comes across this episode, they can create their own links or their own clips as well, and then share that too. 
L-I-S-N what, if you were interested. And then what does that link back to? Does that link back to like the Spotify link or what, like whatever the original link links to? Whatever the RSS feed is. That how that works? Is. Yeah. So ours is oh, okay. So it links to the RSS feed. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. That's a cool, that's a cool idea. Yeah. If, uh, we'll, ha- we'll have it in the show notes if anything. Can well, you thanks. Cl- I appreciate that. No problem at all. Can you clear the air on treatment of rooms? How do you treat your room? What's an ideal setup? Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you asked that. Um, and I got to shout out um, one of my mentors, uh, Jordan Valeriat, who runs Hardcore Music Studio. I don't care that deeply about room treatment. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, if you read, you know, all of the online forums and you read, you know, or you watch the YouTube videos or whatever it may be, um, people love to get caught up in the gear and what monitors you're using and what headphones you're using and how you're referencing and how you treated your room and all of those sorts of things. And I actually just don't think it's helpful. Um, when, so for me, when I mix, I I do have room treatment in my room, so I, I don't think that it's useless. Uh, but I'm not going over the board. You know, when I, when I got into the studio that I'm in, I set up my speakers and I played some tracks and I was like, holy shit, the low end is loose. Uh Oh, and I brought in a few acoustic baffles. They sit behind my monitoring rig and it really tightened up the low end. And that's about all that I've thought about it. And, um, you know, I took a course on mastering that was really, really helpful. And he's the, the guy I took it from, his name's Streaky. He's a huge advocate of, of room treatment. And I see both sides, but um, the, the concept that I gleaned from Jordan Valeriat that, that I stand by and I believe in, um, it's not your room that's going to make a good production. It's not your mix reference that's going to make a good production. It's not your headphones that's going to make a good production. It's you that's going to make a good production. And especially if you're doing stuff like referencing off of uh, reference tracks that you know translate well, you know are mixed well. If you make your song in your room sound like that track also in your room, then you've arrived there. And furthermore, I've been mixing music out of this room for three or four years now. I know what this room sounds like. I know how it translates. It doesn't surprise me anymore. I'm sure if it an acoustician walked into this room, he'd tell me it's full of problems. I can, I could point out a number of different problems right now off the top of my head, but people still call me and hire me because my production still sound good. And I don't need a, a heavily treated room to do that. Is there a bare minimum that you need? Yeah. I mean, like, like I said, I walked in here and I knew that the low end was loose and I didn't like that because I didn't like what I was hearing. And I put in a couple baffles behind my monitoring rig and it tightened it up really, really nicely. And then what I did after that is I came down here for hours and I listened to my favorite records and I got really used to what music sounds like down here. And it kind of just put me off on the right foot. And then I just started mixing songs and I would take them around to all of my additional references and I would listen to them there. And I learned, uh, for instance, I was mixing a little bit low end heavy. It's like, okay, I need to, I need to tame off the low end. And all that I did is I actually just, uh, turned down my, or sorry, turned up my sub a little bit. And then I mixed it to how I wanted it to feel with a little bit of the louder sub. And that sat better because there was more low end reference in my room. Um, it's just all about doing the work of figuring out what your room sounds like and getting good at it. And you don't need a perfectly treated room to do that. It helps. It's, it's, it doesn't hurt you. Uh, but it doesn't, uh, you know, acoustically treated rooms don't make good records. 
good engineers make good records. Good engineers. That's truly fascinating. I mean, like, it, you're almost a byproduct of the, the, the resources that you have, but you're making the most of the resources that you have. You become one with the room, your space. It's very cool. Yeah, and that's another pitfall I, I find engineers get caught up in. They like to, um, they like to get better by getting new stuff. <clears throat> and, you know, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of getting really, really, really good at the stuff you have. And you're doing it well, so it works. It makes sense. Thanks, man. <clears throat> I appreciate that. This, this final question that I've got for Clear the Air is directed more so towards the artists or the musicians out here. But what is the best way you would suggest them? I know we were talking about like pre, pre-production work. So what is the best way for them to record clear and clean vocals? Are there common mistakes great. that artists make, perhaps? Yeah, great question. Um, so, uh, going back to room treatment, like the if if I get a demo from an artist, usually the vocal because they're recording out of their house is kind of washed out by the room, right? Um, and so you know, room does play into it. But you know, I'm doing this interview with an SM7B. It's a dynamic mic, and it sounds great on singers. And um, choosing a dynamic mic over a condenser mic is a great start to cutting out some of your room noise. And then uh, just record less hot. Like I set my preamps pretty conservatively. Um, if you look at a preamp, there's usually uh, a gain and then an output or, you know, an in and an out, right? And what a lot of people who uh, don't spend a lot of time working in productions, don't, uh, what they don't realize is that the more you push that input, the more sensitive that mic becomes and the uh, the more room that that mic is going to pick up. So if I am in a situation where I want really clear and, and precise vocals and I'm worried about room noise, I'll set the output of my preamp like all the way up and then I'll turn up the input as little as possible. And you're, you're hitting the transformers less and you're just hitting the electronics within that preamp less hard and you get... A, a cleaner picture that way and you know the reverse of that is you could hit the input really really hard and you get cool saturation and that's where the color comes from and that's really really fun but you bury yourself in more room problems when you do that so if you're looking for a clear crisp not roomy vocal push that output really really hard and then back off that that input and you'll get better results very interesting very interesting for these next very few I want to know the difference between mono stereo and then like maybe in a sentence. And then also if you could share how you define mixing and mastering in one sentence so that we can be like, hey, all you artists and musicians, you have to come and check out Zach at Skytrack Studios in Cambridge. <laughs> Just give them this little bit of knowledge. So if you record, you know, 10 channels on a drum kit and two channels on a bass guitar and eight channels of electric guitars and five vocals, mixing is the process of taking each of those individual channels and sculpting them individually uh, to sound the best that they possibly can and to fit the best together that they possibly can. And so you take all of those 20 some odd channels and affect them individually and then condense them and sum them down into one stereo file, or I guess it would be two channels, one stereo file. And that is a mix. And that's kind of where you land at at the end of mixing. Um, the problem with mixing is in the process of recording, it's generally speaking really quiet. So when I mix, it's about, you know, in layman's terms, I don't know, a third quieter than what you would hear on a CD. So the process of mastering is taking that now stereo 
file, that mix, and turning it up and making it more impactful and more in your face and helping it play on different types of speakers really, really well. Wow. Now we're educated. Thank you, Zach, for sharing that. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I, uh, I'm now going to be asking you for final words because that was so well said. We can also shout out the, the Skytrack Studios too, anywhere they can find you. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram, just uh, Skytrack Studios. That's S-K-Y-T-R-A-C-K Studios. Uh, you can also find me at www.skytrackstudios.com. Um, yeah, the, the studio's in Cambridge, Ontario. Um, if you're looking to make a record, I like making records. So that's where you'll find me. Beautiful. And then any final words, Zach? I just want to thank you guys so much for having me on the podcast. Um, this has been incredibly fun. Um, you guys are great dudes to hang with, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity. It's always a pleasure. I need to meet you in person one day soon. I'm sure we will get that. I'm sure we will, man. Definitely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, Zach. We out. This episode is brought to you by thecharts.com. If you're a producer or beat maker looking to build your beat commerce business in less time, thecharts.com can help. Remember that you can sign up for free and start selling your beats and instrumentals today at thecharts.com. Big shout out to all parties involved. You can find more value at our website at goproduce.ca. Connect with me on Instagram at go.produce. If you're on YouTube, hit subscribe. If you're on Apple or Spotify, make sure to hit download. This will really help us grow our community. I'm Big Lou, and this is Go Produce.